Scripture passage this evening is John 17, verses 20 through 26. John 17 is what is often called the high priestly prayer of Jesus, a part of it. Within this section of John, we hear uh, prior to this that Jesus has called the disciples to himself. He says, the Holy Spirit... This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You will not be orphans. He will comfort you. He will be a comfort to you. And then he begins to pray. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then in John chapter 17, verse 20, he begins to pray for all believers throughout time and history. These are the words of our Lord praying for you. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20 and 21, is in the back of your Psalter hymnal on page 27 and 28. I'll read the question and answers tonight. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He, as well as the Father and the Son, is eternal God. Second, He has been given to me personally so that by true faith He makes me share in Christ and all His blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. Or what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it his duty to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in His grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. It's the teaching of the Catechism.
Maybe some of you have confessed the Apostles' Creed and thought to yourself, this says a lot about God the Father, it says a lot about God the Son, but then it just says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Nothing more, right? Now that can be a question answered by history at the time the Apostles' Creed was written. They were working through who the Holy Spirit was. And that's why when we read the Nicene Creed tonight, you notice it said a lot more about the Holy Spirit, that he was worshipped with God the Son, with God the Father, and that he is the Lord and giver of life, so on and so forth. But maybe some of you have thought the catechism doesn't have much to say about the Holy Spirit either, especially if you focus only upon Lord's Day 20. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? One question and answer, that's it, right? But there's more to it than that. Fred Cloyster, in his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, tells of an experience he had about this. Listen to what he says. He says, at the end of the meeting, he was leading an adult study on the catechism, a college professor stayed for a moment to ask, why does the catechism neglect the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? She was a devout Christian and had been catechized using the Heidelberg. I didn't have time to give a detailed answer, so I promised to send her some pages given the instances in which the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the catechism. When I saw her the following week, she expressed utter amazement. How could I have missed all those references to the Spirit? The catechism does not neglect the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, she said. I did. The Spirit is mentioned in 31 questions and answers of the Catechism for a total of 36 specific references. So, okay, it's dedicated Lord's Day is one question and answer. But it's interesting because the Holy Spirit is like that, isn't He? He does not take center stage. He does not like the spotlight on Him. The Holy Spirit's work is to put the spotlight on Christ. And to show us all the glory and the riches and the blessings that we have by being united to Christ. Right now, at this point, we're going through the Apostles' Creed. And today, we're starting the section on the Holy Spirit. That's what says in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, a holy Catholic church, a communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. Question 24 in the Catechism breaks the exposition of the Apostles' Creed down like this. God the Father in creation, God the Son and our redemption or our salvation, and then God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Now the reason you might think is curious, why did, Carrie, you put Lord's, Lord's Day 20 and 21 together in the same message Uh, The reason is because the catechism writers intended for us to see that natural connection between the Holy Spirit's Lord's Day, Lord's Day 20, and the Lord's Day's following it. In fact, questions 53 through 64 of the catechism describe the work of the Spirit. So let's get into it. Theme is this. God, the Holy Spirit... That's all I can remember. Let's look at it again. Produces 
True faith, I should have memorized this, in us so we can share in the blessings of Christ. God the Holy Spirit produces true faith in us so we can share in the blessings of Christ, all the blessings of Christ. And then these blessings are described like this. He gathers the church He builds up the communion of saints. And then I did a peculiar wording here. He brings us to know. You ever try to write on a board and then you get an awkward down angle? And it's, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. He brings us to know the forgiveness of our sins. All right, you know what the rest of it is. God the Holy Spirit produces true faith in us so that we come to share in all the blessings of Christ. He gathers the church. He builds up the communion of saints and he brings us to know the forgiveness of our sins. So let's look at actually... It's going to be a little weird tonight because although this theme encapsulates everything that we're looking at, it's also actually a point. So you could call it point four if you want. God, the Holy Spirit, produces true faith in us so we can share in all the blessings of Christ. Question 53 describes this. It says, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he as well as the Father and the Son is eternal God. Our God is a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, distinct but not divided. One being. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but there are not three gods. That's what the Athanasian Creed says, but one holy Trinitarian God. So the Catechism wants us to know The Holy Spirit is God in the same way of the same substance that God the Father is God and God the Son is God. In fact, they're so uniquely tied together as one that in the Scriptures, uh, Paul can say the Spirit of Christ. Or in the Old Testament, we often hear about the Spirit of God. As I read in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovers over the deep. This is what we're talking about here Holy Spirit is eternal God. And this is important because I think if you went around and you asked majority of Christians, they would be a little bit um, ignorant about this reality. The Holy Spirit is not a force. So all you Star Wars fans, I'm sorry. It's the Holy Spirit be with you, not the force be with you, Okay. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. It, it's not even an it. In fact, 
When I was in college, I read a book by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God, where he talked about how we've forgotten so much about the Holy Spirit and his triune, uh, or the Holy Spirit's uh, place in the Trinity. And I realized that I often called the Holy Spirit it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. He is a person. And he is described such in the scriptures, okay? So that is what we need to understand. That's what we need to know. Uh, in fact, when Peter, when uh, Ananias and Sapphira, I think, right? They're the ones that lied, right? When they came before the... Uh, the um, the apostles, Peter said, why have you lied against the Holy Spirit? Uh, why have you lied against God? So this is something we need to know. This is something that we confirm. This is something that we believe. Um, and, and, and I think that we need, to, we need to often remind ourselves of that and bring it before us again. Because, as I said, the Holy Spirit, is he's often in the background. He's not emphasized as much because it's his purpose to focus upon the Son, Right? So that's the, the first point is that he, as well as the Father and Son, is eternal God. And then the second is that he's been given to me personally so that by true faith, and this, I think, should sound familiar to you, these words, true faith, so that by true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. What, we, what I want us to understand about tonight when we are looking at this is that all of these realities that we are experiencing that are spirit realities, that are born of the spirit, that we experience because we have been given the spirit, that we have the indwelling spirit, are realities because we have true faith in Christ. If you remember question and answer 21 described for us what is meant by these words, true faith? Question and answer 21 in the catechism says, what is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. So it's not only knowledge. It's not only facts, right? It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. So by the Spirit, through the Word, by the Spirit, through the Gospel, we have this true faith. It's not something that we have done ourselves or mustered up inside of ourselves, but this true faith is a spirit reality. It is a reality that has taken the work of Christ and by the Spirit then applied it to us the true believers who have true faith because of God's grace. That is what I want us to know when we think God the Holy Spirit produces true faith in us so we can share in the blessings of Christ. That is, God the Holy Spirit, the eternal God who has existed for all time, for all creation, before creation, has granted us true faith because of the work of Christ that we may share in all the blessings of Christ. And what are these blessings, you may ask? What are these realities that we share in now because we've been granted this true faith? First is this. He gathers the church. Big C. 
church. Okay? He gathers the church. Question and answer 54 says this. What do you believe concerning the holy Catholic church? Now, I could talk, I'll talk one second about the word Catholic here, okay, so that we know. There's been much debate about whether we should just get rid of it and put in universal church or worldwide church because that the, the word Catholic has taken on a different meaning now because of the Roman Catholic Church. But I say, let's not give that word up. It's our word just as much as it's their word, so we're going to use it. We're going to say, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church because we believe that long before the Roman Catholic Church came around, God had his people, and that people were a holy, universal church. So we're, we're, we're trying to take that word back, I think, is, is my goal. Holy Catholic Church. And it's not holy because of its people being morally perfect. It's holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It says here, I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word... Do you remember when I read what true faith is? It says that the Holy Spirit has granted us true faith by the gospel. That's the same way of saying through His Spirit and Word. That the word, the Spirit accompanies the Word. That when I get up here to preach and I open up God's Word, the only way that this is powerful, the only way that this is meaningful, the only way that it's doing anything in your lives is if the powerful spirit accompanies it. It's not because I'm, I'm a very eloquent speaker and i am got all of my, uh, you know, speech classes and, and I've, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, excitable and it's none of those things. It's because the powerful spirit accompanies it. And that's what I pray for. That's what I hope. By his word and spirit, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life, united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. The first thing that I want us to see is that this, this reality of the Holy Catholic Church, it's not bound. It's not bound by time. And it's not bound by other, other uh, things like ethnic realities. It's, not bound, it's, it's, it's boundless in that sense. And this is crazy to me because some of, so, so many people would say, um, what is so interesting about the nation of Israel is that we just can't get rid of it. We just can't thumb out the nation of Israel. It's like uh, those are God's chosen people and then God's, God just won't let them see an end, right? But to me, what Lord's Day 21 says is something more interesting than that. It says, since Genesis 1, sixth day of creation, when Adam and Eve were created, that was the beginning of the Holy Catholic Church. And that God has had his people, what it says here, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, that he has, regardless of time, regardless of ethnicity, gathered his people, gathered out of the entire human race, protected, preserves for himself, a community chosen for eternal life, and united in true faith. United in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member 
What I want us to see here is something that is beautiful to me. It's meaningful to me because of my experience in a, a, a church and a tradition where we didn't confess the creeds. Where we didn't say holy Catholic church and understand this reality. It's interesting because I was talking to a pastor of another church in that tradition that I grew up in, and he had posted on his Facebook something about, you know, well, we're Christians only, but we're not the only Christians. And I like that saying, right? We say that we're Christians only, but we're not the only Christians. So what that's kind of saying is we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, right? We believe that the only Christians, that, that we're not the only Christians, that here at Cottage Grove is not where the only church is, right? But he, I knew, had a belief about baptism that contradicted that. And I asked him on a Facebook message, I said, I know you say you're Christians only, but you're not the only Christians, but your belief about baptism, that only a believer's baptism by immersion is, uh, is real baptism, and that's when you receive the Holy Spirit, and that's when you're forgiven of your sins. So that's what I'm talking about here. Then, really what you're saying is, the church that I'm pastoring at now is full of largely unregenerate people. Because I would think most of you, not all of you, were baptized as children when your parents presented you. And he didn't have an answer for that. But it reminded me of the wonder that we have with our theology. Because we believe it is not perfect theology that saves you. That we believe it's not baptism that saves you. We believe that it's not having the proper church government that saves you. It's not being a part of the Christian Reformed Church that saves you. We believe that it's God who chooses you, God who saves you, and then God sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, and then God the Holy Spirit takes that work of Jesus Christ and gives you, grants you as a gracious gift, true faith, which means, praise God, that we can say that Baptists are Christians even Catholics are Christians. Even Methodists and Episcopalians are Christians. You know why? Because it's not what church you belong to that saves you. But it's God's gracious work through the powerful gospel that saves you. I hope that's helpful for us because I think it, I think it can have some very meaningful impact on our lives. I think it can mean that when we meet others, now, I, this is important for us because I think that we as Reformed Christians have really good theology, and sometimes we struggle to live up to that. Now, some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ don't have that great of theology, but they love like Christ loves, and we can learn something from them. But because we have that really good, precise theology, we're often very, um, we're often very questionable about others in the faith. Does that make sense? But because we confess that there is a holy Catholic church, I believe that means that when we meet others out there who claim to be Christians, that we should give them a judgment of charity. 
C.S. Lewis once said this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What's he saying here? He's saying we're all eternal people. Either we're destined for eternal torment or we're destined to eternal bless, blessing and bliss. But the confession of the universal Catholic Church means that God's got people outside of Cottage Grove. He's got people everywhere. And then you know what? I, for one, am the type of person that says, you know what? I would rather be surprised when I get to heaven about all the people God had. Oh, you mean even those Christians were? Even that denomination was? Yeah, because God's grace is that awesome. Then get there and say, oh, yeah, I knew it'd just be us. Because it's not going to be that way, folks. It's not. That's the wonderful, beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit gathering His church. The next thing is He builds up the communion of saints. Uh, the, this, uh, this question and answer in 55 is horizontal and it's vertical, okay? The first is that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and all his treasures and gifts. That's horizontal, right? That's a horizontal reality of the communion of saints. That we, by the Holy Spirit, share in Christ and all his treasures and gifts. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places, Right? The second, though, is, uh, oh, I've got these backwards, vertical, vertical reality, up and down, right, horizontal, I, I did really good in geometry in school, horizontal is, is the us reality, right, so the communion of saints, when we confess the communion of saints, we mean that it's a reality because we are united with Christ vertically, but it's also a reality because we are united to each other horizontally. And that means there's a responsibility. And what the, what the catechism tells us is that the responsibility is that we should consider it our duty to use our gifts, our spiritual gifts. And the duty is that we should use these spiritual gifts for the service and enrichment of the other members of this communion of saints. And I think that it's, uh, it's interesting that we are having this discussion on uh, the evening that we just took the Lord's Supper because that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about the body of Christ. It's about the church being united together. It's about us having, having a reminder that we are one. We are united and that we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to serve this body with our spiritual gifts. And that is what the communion of saints means. It's a, horror, it's a vertical reality that we have shared in the blessings of Christ, 
but it's a horizontal reality that we have the duty to, to use our spiritual gifts. And that's actually why question and answer uh, 54 says that we are living members of this holy Catholic church. We're not dead members. We're not inactive members. That we're living members of this holy Catholic church. And we are building up this communion of saints. The last thing here is about the forgiveness of sins. You might be thinking to yourself, why exactly is the catechism applying the forgiveness of sins to the work of the Holy Spirit when we know that the reason we have forgiveness of sins is because of the work of Christ? Well, that's what we need to see here. What we need to see here is the work of Christ is accomplished by Him. It's accomplished by Christ. But it's applied by the Holy Spirit. That's why I said He makes us come to know the forgiveness of our sins. Because it's when the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again that we begin to see the kingdom of God in such a way that we look upon the cross and we realize that there is where we flee to because there is where forgiveness of sins is. He brings us to know the forgiveness of our sins. He says uh, in question 56, I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, Christ's powerful work, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. So what, what, what the catechism is saying here is any of the sins that I've ever committed and the sins that I will continue to struggle against. God will not hold that against me anymore because of Christ's atonement. Rather, in his grace, God grants me the positive righteousness of Christ. To free me forever from judgment. Because of Christ's atonement, he will never hold against me any of my sins. Grants me righteousness of Christ. Frees me forever from judgment. Well, why exactly did I read John 17? Because whose prayers do you think are powerful and always answered? prayers of Jesus Christ, right? Think about this. Think that when Jesus was about to go to his death, he said, Judas is going to betray me. He's the son of perdition. But then he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I will pray for you. And when you turn, encourage your brothers. Judas went to his death. Peter was renewed as an apostle of Jesus Christ and a foundational block of the church, which we are speaking of today. Jesus' powerful prayers are efficacious and always answered, and this is what he prayed for his people All of us, all throughout time, from beginning to end, over the whole human race, am 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. We are one. That's a blood-bought reality. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How are we in the Father and in the Son? Because by the Holy Spirit being given to us, which will never be taken away, the Holy Spirit indwelling with us we will have throughout all eternity brings us in communion with the Father and the Son. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me before you, because you love me before the creation of the world. How will we be with him forever? Because our sins have been forgiven and we will stand in eternity with white robes upon, our, upon us, praising the lamb who was slain for all eternity. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That is the prayer of our righteous, faithful Savior about us, his church, his bride, his body. May we consider how we can further the unity of the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints because what we all share in common is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ binds us together as one. And you better get used to this face because you're going to spend all eternity with it. Right? With each other. We will. And it'll be great. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prayers of your son. We are those who have come to believe by the message of the apostles. We pray, Lord, that your son's prayer would be continued, would, be, would continue to be answered, that we would be one as you are one, that we may know the glory of your son, that we may one day be with him where he is and see his glory, that we, by our unity, may make known to the world that you have sent Christ, that you have loved us, your holy Catholic Church, even as you have loved your only begotten Son. Lord, may we, as your holy Catholic Church, consider how we can move forward, how we can use our spiritual gifts to build one another up, and how we can even continue to know and experience the grace of the forgiveness of our sins and the blood of your Son. We say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.